Hey guys, and welcome to the channel. You might be thinking another review of Roland Garros. We just did one with Gil. Well, that was a shorter one. We're going to do, it might be just a short, but it's going to be more comprehensive. We, of course, did Q&As then as well. And uh, so we went through some of the questions that people had. Burning questions in your minds, and hopefully you enjoyed that as well. This is going to be a bit different. So yes, we're going to talk about Rafa Nadal and Igor Sviantek and their wins, respectively. Of course, Nadal winning his 14th Grand Slam, sorry, 14th Roland Garros even, and 22nd Grand Slam, and Igor Sviantek winning her second Roland Garros and second Grand Slam as well to come. So that's going to be great. We're going to go over that. But before we get into that as well, please remember to hit the like button and subscribe if you're new. And what we're going to do is we're going to go over Nadal and Sviantek. And then on top of that, we're going to look at some of the winners or losers, you might say, of the tournament. So the people that might be pretty happy with how the, how their tournament went. And maybe some people that also make, made very big leaps, I think, as well, at the tournament and steps in the right direction. And then on the other side, we're going to look at people who maybe were disappointed with how the tournament went on top of also potentially you know not just being disappointed with how it went but some big upsets and then where does that leave them for the rest of the year uh, and then we'll look I guess overall at the tournament and I'll give you uh, maybe one of my favorite moments uh, and maybe one of my shocks etc as well and what I thought was surprising uh, about the tournament as well so a couple of my insights so really this is a video to give you guys a bit of insight into what I learned from this Roland Garros tournament and what I think it might mean going forward. So let's talk about Rafa Nadal first because obviously, look, everyone wants to talk about him. So we'll talk about him first. We'll get out of the way. Of course, everyone knows I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a, well, I am a big Rafa fan, but I'm also a massive tennis fan and I'm trying to keep it nice and impartial as all of the Rafa fans keep telling me, come on, Fazan, keep on saying Vamos, say Vamos in the videos. Come on. Be biased. And I just say to them, no, I can't. I can't be biased. Okay. I need to be impartial. And I try my best. So I hope I hope that I am impartial on the videos and commentary, etc. as well. Let me know if I'm not and what you think. Right. So Rafa Nadal, of course, winning his 22nd slam, his 14th Roland Garros title, as I said. And it was an incredible achievement just because of the fact that when he came into the tournament, he wasn't one of the favorites. He was actually when I say one of the favourites, he wasn't in the top two favourites. It was Djokovic and Alcaraz. He was the third favourite on most people's minds or in the, the betting odds, if you want to say. So what changed and how do you win it? Well, I think it's been well documented, of course, the foot problem that he has. And look, I think going into this season, he was unsure whether he'd even play up the Australian Open. He managed to win that one after a long layoff after his last match was the Roland Garros semi-final last year against Djokovic. So that was really impressive, of course. Um, that was obviously before he came into this year, um, played the Melbourne Somerset fine. And then, you know, obviously went on to play Australia, but really went into it cold. Then, of course, he had the issue with the rib and then went into this tournament again off the back of some issues with his foot again. Um, didn't look good in the clay court swing, if I'm being brutally honest. And everyone was saying, well, if he's not fully fit, if the foot's troubling him, is he even going to play for one? And for two, how's he going to play? Would he be able to get through people? Especially when the draw came out, people were saying, well, Djokovic is in his quarter, Alcaraz is in his half, so is Zverev. Hmm, let's see. So, how did he get on? Well, we know he got on really well because he won the tournament in the end. So that was impressive, to say the least. But more impressively than that was the fact that he managed to look physically fine 
like physically okay now there were moments where he looked kind of a little bit worn and torn i guess but there were only fleeting moments in his run and the fact that he beat four top 10 contenders or two top well four top 10 players even on the way to the trophy was incredibly incredibly impressive so only the third player to do it in history Matt landed in it in 1982 if I'm not mistaken in his French Open run and Roger Federer did it in Australia in 2017 so and that kind of tells you a little bit about how impressive that run is on top of that as well the foot of course didn't seem to cause him many troubles and the reason why is and he alluded to after is that he had synthetic injections uh and it's, oh, it was a yeah synthetic injections even um now this is an interesting one because look he did say that look it numbed the foot so he literally was playing the final without any feeling in his foot he said he wouldn't have it for Wimbledon and won't have it for Wimbledon so he only have painkillers so we'll see how that will unravels but in the case of this, I mean, it's incredible the fact that he managed to play with a basically no feeling in his foot uh, in the final and, and win the way he did 6-3-6-3-6-love against Kasparud, who arguably the easiest out of the last four opponents he'd faced after a five-set thriller against Felix Auger-Liassime. And then, of course, a tough, tough uh, battle of the titans and goats against Novak Djokovic, where... And we'll get onto that a bit more when we talk about Novak because I think that was uh, something that he would have been disappointed about how the result, of course, went, but also uh, some interesting bits and bobs coming out of that from his side. But for Nadal, of course, got revenge after that loss in the semifinals last year of Roland Garros to Novak Djokovic, and he now extends his lead over him at Roland Garros to 8-2. But the head-to-head still... There's the gap in the very very tight then I think of course it's unfortunate for the German of course having to go off injured now that was and could have been a, a problematic match in the sense that I guess he was looking at that and thinking well I need to get through this relatively comfortably but if I do even if I just get if I just get through it generally um, it's going to be really 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 good for me going to the final because realistically, I'm going to be the favourite against Kasparud, and I really back myself in that final, no matter how the semi-final goes, as long as I get through it. Now, of course, that could have ended up being one of the longest matches in history. It was like 44 short rallies. Uh, oh, well, a couple of them anyway. And the tiebreaker, you're 6-2 down, managed to come back incredible, like, just incredible the way he came back. And he did a similar thing against Djokovic, I guess, in that fourth set. He was 5-2 or 5-3 down the fourth set, and then he came back to win that set. Like, unbelievable to do that. Um, did a similar thing against Zverev, but this time it was in the tiebreaker. He was 6-2 down, managed to recover, and then win the tiebreaker with some ridiculous passing shots. Like, what do you want to say? Uh, he was also 4-2 down in the first set anyway. The second set, he was 4-2 down as well, recovered again, took him to a tiebreaker, then, of course, Zverev got injured. So, <clears throat> who knows how that match would have gone. On both weren't playing a particularly good level. It was very heavy conditions. Roof was on, humid. Just wasn't the best spectacle i guess uh, and clearly something that roland garros needs to look into is how the court plays under the roof because i don't think they've adjusted for that if that makes sense uh so we'll see anyway rafa nadal we talked about him enough of course i did it on my post-match review as well so you can check that out and also of course we talked about it with gil Novak Djokovic. let's talk about him let's talk about him shall we shall we talk about Novak Djokovic? 
No, let's not. Let's stick to the players that will be happy about the tournament. Kasparud, the other finalist. I mean, he has to be happy, right? I mean, yes, he managed to avoid Med- uh, Medvedev and Sitsipas in the bottom half of the draw. Uh, and that was just... That's not his fault. I mean, <laughs> you know, you can only play who's in front of you. So he did really well to get to the final, no doubt. And of course, beat a really informed Chilich as well. Impressive win. Holger Rune as well in great form, of course, beating Sitsipas. So, and Chilich beat Medvedev. So... It was just a very, very good run from Kasparud, and he had to battle pretty hard against some players like Senego, who's a really good clay quarter, but in general, played well. And some positives to come out of it is, of course, the serve has definitely bolted up. It's definitely a lot more potent now against Nadal. It wasn't as good, but Nadal being a lefty, and also the fact that he has the best return games one percentage of all time means that it wasn't going to be an easy, easy serving day for Kasparud. And it's on clay. It's a slow surface. Nadal is, you know, kind of king of returning, I think, on clay. I think, in general, if we would say who's the best returner, I would say Djokovic. But on clay, I think Nadal's the best returner. I would say, personally. But it's tough. It's tough. I mean, everyone has their different opinions. Now, Kasparud, that's a big, big positive, of course, is the serve generally. And the one-plus play as well. Serve one-plus play was really good. Made a lot of forehands. Forehand was pretty potent. For the- <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. For the most part, but the backhand is a clear perceived weakness, and he had a stern, stern, stern testing of it in the final, and he failed really. Um, look, he never played Nadal before, and I know they've trained before, but it doesn't really mean much. Um, it's like you know, when people say in boxing, like when you spar another player or another fighter, sorry, even and then you go into the fight, it's completely different. Sparring doesn't reflect how a fight would go. Same with you know cricket or any other sport when you're kind of training with someone an elite player or athlete you think oh you know what oh I've I've done pretty well against them but actually on the practice court compared to in the match scenario it's very different of course it can help somewhat to see patterns of play etc but it also depends on how seriously the opponent's taking it and I'd imagine that Nadal takes practice pretty seriously but also he'd be working on all things as well so he wouldn't be playing like how he plays the match and uh, an interesting point that Gil made about um, Nadal in practice is that Tony Nadal doesn't like Nadal hitting the, the buggy whip, or I guess the the whip generally, right? Which is the lasso uh, Nadal forehand. He actually likes him hitting more kind of like the, uh, over the shoulder, right? Which is the kind of more classical forehand. And we see it sometimes with Rafa when he goes into out uh, with the forehand, and he will hit that. It's definitely a forehand he hits. Just doesn't hit it as often as, of course, the, the buggy whip, as, as Gil would call it. And <clears throat> I do think. And that was a really, really interesting point he made. And that makes a lot of sense as to why, in practice, he doesn't hit the whip much. Now he's not with Tony Nadal any longer, but I would imagine that it's still ingrained in his mind. So it's an interesting one. Uh, but Kasparu just couldn't handle the heavy top spin to the backhand side, kicked up on the backhand. And he's got a very, very one-dimensional backhand. It's it's kind of loopy. It's a lot of top spin. Not really much penetration through the court. And... Doesn't have a slice really either. So generally something to work on. But look, he's not going to have to face many left-handers in general. But also he's not going to have to face any left-hander like Nadal, to be fair. So let's just... uh, Let's maybe take that with a pinch of salt. But backhand can be improved, no doubt. Uh, Who else can be happy? I mean, Alexander Zverev. Despite the injury, of course, which is a massive disappointment for him. And actually, it's funny, right? Because his brother, Misha Zverev, before on Eurosport, kind of predicted Zverev to win. And he predicted he'd come through, you know, um, Alcaraz and then Djokovic and then, he'd, and then you know, whoever else in the final. I think he'll sit to pass. Of course, he had to play 
Alcaraz, and he did come through that. So fair play to Misha Zverev. I mean, obviously he's his brother, but still he predicted it, and I, I get that. And even against Nadal, now look, I think personally Nadal would still come through. He was a, he was a setup, and the tiebreaker. I would have backed Nadal to win it. It was would have been a tight one. I mean, both were making a lot of mistakes, but Zverev was double faulting in big moments. That was the issue as well. However, Zverev did have a chance, and he was sitting in that match. He was in that match very much so. So he wins that, and then he, you know, Misha Zverev is saying, well, hold on, Zverev's playing rude, and he's probably going to win that, Zverev, you'd imagine, right? Especially in the backhand-to-backhand -backhand exchanges. We talked about rude's weakness on the backhand, and Zverev's got probably the best drive two-hander in the game, if, bar maybe Djokovic. But I think the backhand cross is probably the best two-hander uh, on tour. The backhand on the line is probably the best... Uh, on Djokovic's side. I think Djokovic's two-hander down the line is better than Zverev's, but the cross-court two-hander, I think Zverev for sure. So, you know, massive positives, and Gil mentioned as well that, you know, Zverev was crunching the backhand cross in general, especially against Alcaraz, who, of, of course, in terms of recovery powers and ability to move uh, on the court is incredible, but was struggling, and, and Zverev was taking a lot of winners to that backhand side of Alcaraz, and that's because he hit so big off that wing cross-court. <clears throat> and I agree. And he's one of the only players as well on tour that won't... When the ball's out in the middle of the court, he'll actually opt to go backhand rather than go to his forehand side, which is weird, right? He'll almost run around the forehand at times. So a lot more comfortable on the backhand. Uh, the serve as well, like, obviously quite potent at times, and the first serve is huge. Still needs a bit of work there on the double faulting. Uh, it came back a little bit against Nadal, uh, and also in his previous match before that. So it needs to be careful with that. And needs to still needs to, I think, learn from that and work on it. I don't know what he can do, but clearly something that he needs to continue to work on. Uh, and the forehand as well. Now, at times against Nadal, it was sublime, like stepped in and got early leads in the first set because he was stepping in, hitting big on the forehand and actually committing to that shot. Uh, and wasn't making many errors on it either. But then as the set went on, he started making a few errors on it and then kind of went back to conservative mode, started pushing the ball back in with the forehand, needs to work on that, and also his net game. He works on his forehand and net game. I mean, he's a, he's an all-court player, Zverev, so he should have success wherever he goes. But the, the net game, I can see the intent comes to the net, and that's a good sign. The issue is the execution at the moment, and I think lacks a bit of composure at the net, so something to work on. But generally, a very good tournament. Of course, beating Alcaraz, considering he was the underdog, very, very impressive. Um, and the manner he did it as well, like he held his nerve in that tiebreak in the fourth set, which was really impressive. Uh, so that was that was really good to see. I think a mental, maybe a mental win more than a kind of skill or physical win for Zverev at Roland Garros, I would say. Then, and then who else can be happy? I, I mean, obviously, Felix will be happy, I would imagine. He hadn't won a single Roland Garros match before this year. Got to the fourth round and faced Rafa Nadal. And he lost, of course, the eventual champ and took him to five sets. Actually, probably gave him the hardest match out of everyone. I know people might say no about Djokovic, but four sets, I don't think he did, actually. I think Felix did. And Felix was two sets to one up, if I'm not mistaken, as well, which was a really, really impressive thing to see. Um, and I just think... Oh, sorry, he was two sets to one down even, but he was a setup. He took the first set. Uh, and then, of course, Nadal took the next two. But then he picked up his level in the fourth set, Felix, and, and won it 6-3. So Nadal, though, played three very good sets of tennis in the fifth set. He kind of just blitzed Felix. I mean, winners left, right, and center in that fifth set from Nadal. And uh, it was a really, really, really good set from Nadal. But he needed it because Felix was breathing down his neck. And clearly some big, big positives take from it. Of course, 
he has Tony Nadal in his corner. And it looks like, at least in terms of his clay court game, uh, he's taking huge strides. So that's a big plus. We'll see how his game transitions onto the grass, where he had a lot of success last year, making the quarterfinals, losing to the eventual finalist, Matteo Berrettini. But yeah, good signs for Felix. I think more variation on the forehand. Uh, I love the way that he comes to try and serve volley, even especially behind the, the second serve time, sometimes. He's probably got a top 10, top 10 serve, I'd say. Uh, it's huge. It's in corners. It's a lot bigger than people think. Uh, and the second serve as well, he hits at around 100 miles per hour for the most part, uh, or between 95 to 100, 105. So that's really big for a second serve. And he puts a lot of spin on it. And I think on the clay, it was impressive to see how he served, especially against Novak in Rome. I know he lost that in straight sets, but it was 7 6 7 5. That was a very, very tight match as well. So, look, I think some massive, massive uh, kind of positive signs for Felix, uh, but just needs to take that extra step and start beating these guys. Now, of course, I might be asking a bit too much considering that he hadn't won a match at Ronan Garros until this year, but next year he'll be looking to do to do that. I, I'm telling you now, he will do, he will do. Hatchinov also a pretty good tournament getting in the fourth round, also beating Cam Nori, which is a good win, so he'll be happy the Russian... Um, Anyone else? I mean, obviously, Holger Rune, I mean, massive, massive tournament for him. Made the quarterfinals. Really impressive to see uh, the young player from Denmark make his move, beat Sissipas as well. Great win. And then against Rudy, it was tight. It was tight. Rude took a tiebreaker in the third set when it was one set all. And you almost think if Rune takes that, could be very interesting the rest of the match. But um, look, he seems to have a little bit of everything. He does. Is he kind of the generational talent like Alcaraz? I'm not sure. He might be. He's very young. He's got a lot of time on his hands. Don't count him out is what I would say. Uh, he's a very talented player. And I'm interested to see how the rest of the season goes, especially on grass and then also going into the, uh, the hard court swing again, the, the back end uh, or the second hard court swing that we have, of course, as the US Open looms uh, in September. So, Let's see how that all pans out. But generally, I think he'll be happy uh, with the tour. I mean, of course, he'll be happy. He'll, he was disappointed, I think, with the match against Rude. And, of course, some controversy there. But generally, good tournament. And, of course, Marin Cilic. I mean, how can he not be happy? Man, the semifinals, resurgent Croatian coming through. And, uh, look, a very, very interesting match against Rude. Took the first set, Cilic, and looked really good. Just kind of fell away a little bit. And that might be because of that marathon match against Rublev, which went to five sets and then lost uh, Rublev in that championship tiebreaker 10-2. But Chilic has been serving really well. And he'll actually be really happy about the result because he can rest for a little bit. Uh, and then he'll have, I'm, I'm sure, a couple of grass court tournaments or a grass court tournament before Wimbledon. And he loves the grass. So I think he will be a top five contender, honestly. Uh, which sounds crazy to say, but with the lack of some of the players uh, given the ban, I think he would be up there in the top five contenders potentially. Then let's talk about on the men's side, the people that won't be too happy with their results. And I think obviously we can start off with number one, which is Novak Djokovic, of course, losing to Rafa Nadal in the quarterfinals. Uh, a lot of people thought he'd win the tournament, didn't manage to do that, and even managed to get to that. He's extremely good at handling the pressure of Novak Djokovic, like really, really good. And as I said, probably the best on tour. Now, if we look at it from a 
you know, a, a crowd point of view now. Now, I think he's got a massive, massively kind of emotionally charged relationship with the crowd. And I mentioned it on the live that we did. And I think that he potentially has a weakness when it comes to the crowd. Now, sometimes in the past, I think for the most part, he would let it fuel him and it would really charge him to kind of do better. I think he's got to a stage and maybe as he's now at the age he's at, at what, 35, he thinks maybe, look, where's my dues? Or I paid my dues. Where is my plaudits, right? Like I should be revered as someone, as one of the greatest tennis players of all time, but no one is cheering me on. Now, I think he won't have an issue and, and never will have an issue in Australia or Italy or, or you know, Serbia. And I think those are three countries that he always have massive, massive support. And, there's, and that's kind of obvious why, right? Serbia, home country. Australia won there so many times. Uh, and Italy, I think he's got an affinity with them. He speaks Italian as well. They absolutely love him out there. They do. And he loved playing in Rome, didn't he? He really did. And of course, won that tournament. Now, when we talk about Ryan Garros, though, they booed him when he came out. Now, first of all, that's not right. They shouldn't be booing him. I don't think they should boo any player unless something ridiculous happens on court. But he was walking out, hadn't even done anything yet. Now, that's pretty ridiculous. Now we can talk about it from a, a different angle and maybe talk about it from the fact that he expected the crowd to cheer him on. Now, Med Medvedev said a similar thing at the Australian Open when he lost to Nadal. Now, I have to be honest with you, <clears throat> what Medvedev said was even more outrageous because... Like, Nadal's won however many slams. Like, he'd won 20 slams going into that Australian Open final. Medvedev has never won the Australian Open. Yes, he made the final last year against Djokovic. But I don't know what he expected, to be perfectly honest with you. I think he said something like, oh, you know, is it because I'm Russian? And, or, like, you know, you, you know, is it to do with favoritism to certain countries? And it's not that. It's just the fact that Nadal has the status and is extremely likable and has won so many slams. And he is a lot of people's favorite player. That's just a fact. Now, uh, Roland Garros, you might think, well, hold on, but he's playing another GOAT in Novak Djokovic. Uh, and Djokovic is probably thinking, well, it should be around 50-50, or at least kind of like, you know, 60-40, even 70-30. Nadal's won it 13 times going into that match. Again, what did he expect? Um, and I think there's a little bit, and I didn't think I'd ever say Novak Djokovic and naivety in the same sentence, but there was some naivety about how Novak Djokovic definitely approached that situation and mentally thought about it. Like, how could he expect the crowd to be on his side? I just don't understand that. I know he's a reigning champion. And I get that. But this is also a crowd that's seen Nadal win it 13 times. Did he expect to be cheered? Should he have been booed? No. And I think that could have affected him, no doubt. And I get that. And I understand why he might be upset by that. But the rest of it, as in, you know, cheering him on, I don't get that. Um, also coming out after and saying 99.9% of the crowd were cheering Rafa. I mean, that kind of, to me, signals that during the match, he was thinking that. He was really, really thinking about the crowd. Now, a lot of players say, actually, at times, they didn't even they didn't even worry about the crowd. They just get on with it. And I feel like Djokovic, at times, has been able to completely kind of sand out the crowd and doesn't completely blocks it off. Against Nadal, though, he didn't, clearly, because he heard the crowd. He said it after. And for me, the fact that he said, you know, because of the crowd, he was like 99.9% .9 of the crowd were on Rafa's side. That's why in the fourth set, he came back and won the set. Really? Really? So that, to me, says that mentally, 
he wasn't at his best because he let the crowd get to him and then he let the let kind of the crowd also make him think that oh we're giving Nadal an extra 10% oh you know what no, as soon as Nadal started coming back in that fourth set he probably was like oh okay well it's just going to happen and it's almost as if he didn't give it away but he wasn't really fighting that hard and, and probably because he was just fed up um, and part of me is like I don't blame him part of me is also like Novak but you're never like this do you know what I mean you never like this. It was weird to see. It was weird to see. And then even Eastwich came out after and said about the body language, of course, and said that Nadal and, and Djokovic had very different body languages. Like Djokovic wasn't Djokovic's wasn't particularly good. And at first I thought that was a really lame excuse. But then actually when I thought about it, I thought maybe he was alluding to the fact that mentally Djokovic wasn't there compared to Nadal. Uh, and that is a surprising thing because for the most part, Djokovic is there. Now only in maybe uh, a few of the occasions that they've played on clay maybe Djokovic has kind of fallen away and Nadal's had that mystique about him and he just kind of thought oh it's just too good like there's nothing I can do about it and maybe fallen away but in this one you know he'd won a set like it was two sets to one there's one set all at one point it was all to play for really and uh, Nadal played a really good match of course and a lot of people asked as well about what they thought the level was that was it the same as last year was it better was it worse I mean I think it was it was around the same, to be fair, and I'm happy to say that because even though I'm a Rafa fan and and Nadal clearly kind of had some sort of foot issue last year, he's still playing some really good tennis last year against uh, Novak at that Roland Garros. So, look, you know, a lot of people said as soon as Nadal's foot looked good, he was going to win it, and clearly he did. For Novak, though, he will be thinking, "Look, I should have won that," and maybe, you know, that was. It wasn't naive. He should go in, go into it with the confidence, but a bit naive to think that Nadal was one going to come into it as only like a 60-40 or 70-30 favourite with the crowd. And then two as well, mentioning about how he was 100% fit and like in the past, like he's been injured and then come back 100% fit. I mean, he did a similar thing to be fair at the Australian Open where he had the abdominal issue and he said, oh, you know, I'm going to have to pull out probably. And then he looked fine the rest of the tournament. So clearly Nadal's had a procedure, you know, with the injections and I get that. And, and I'm sure... Djokovic might have had something similar with painkillers so or pain relief. So got to take it with a pinch of salt. Um, but he'll go into Wimbledon as the favourite, no doubt. He'll go into it a huge favourite. And I would imagine uh, he will be uh, extremely happy with how the tournament has gone. No doubt. Absolutely no doubt. Um, so... <coughs> Sorry, well, he won't be particularly happy with how this tournament's gone, but... He will be looking to Wimbledon and I would imagine he'll be extremely happy with the transition onto, onto grass because he's really good there and he'll be a massive favourite. Right, let's talk about the rest of the people that weren't particularly happy uh, because we're kind of dragging on a little bit. I don't want to drag it on too much because we need to get onto the women as well. So let's briefly talk about um, the the rest of the men's then. Who would be unhappy? I mean, Rublev made the quarterfinals, so I don't want to talk about him too much. He'll be, he might be a little bit disappointed he didn't make the semis, but generally... Not too much to talk about there. Um, lost the championship tiebreak. It can happen against an inspired opponent. Yannick Sinner, I mean, look, with a side strain, and I get, look, that, you know, it's not great, but he's retired a few times. He has. Uh, and he won the first set against Rublev 6-1, um, lost the second set. And I get if you're injured, you have to retire, but maybe then he needs to have a break because he's retired quite a few times from matches, and it seems like wear and tear if he's getting blisters and these type of strains, etc., Take a rest. 
take a rest then because otherwise it looks like a quitting even though you're probably not you probably physically can't play but it's not great especially because he won the first set as well so clearly that would have been frustrating for him so a disappointing tournament for him uh, Medvedev not really I mean you might say potentially because of course he made the quarterfinals last year also sits the pass um, in that and that was a good run from him especially after not winning a Roland Garros match before 2021 but losing to Chilich no, again, no shame in that. Really inspired performance from Chilich and Medvedev again hadn't come into it with a whole, whole lot of clay court practice, so not a massive surprise. Of course, had a little bit of an injury as well um, beforehand, so that's why you know he had to rest. Went into it though, looked okay for the first few rounds, just lost to the better player on the day. Since past though, he'll be very disappointed. That bottom half of the draw was there for the taking for him. And he didn't have to, you know, he wouldn't have had to have dealt with a Nadal, a Djokovic, and Alcaraz as well in his in his half because they're all the top half. Now he won't get another opportunity, I would imagine, like this for a little bit of time now because this was a massive, massive opportunity to again make the final. And if he'd made the final, say against the Nadal, and Nadal had played the matches, I mean, I don't know how it goes because it's pass really should have been better, but. He was struggling in all the matches. And I did say the Mossetti match in the first round could be a potential banana skin. I said, if he gets through that, though, I did say, I said that he'd make the final because I just thought that was such a tough match. And Mossetti's a really good clay quarter. And he was two sets to love up against Sitsipas. But Sitsipas came back. But maybe that was a sign that Sitsipas isn't playing his best tennis and maybe also didn't help him going forward because then he dropped a couple of sets uh, here and there. And then against Runa, I mean, it was just, it was clinical from the the Danish player it really was like just tore him apart in four sets and it was a really really good good performance Sitsipas has some big things to work on and he did say after he didn't play well enough and I have to agree a little bit kind of not passive but not dynamic enough I think in some of his play and the backhand uh, before normally I think it's kind of masked on clay about the kind of the deficiency of the backhand and it has improved a little bit but it's still not at the level I think required for him to win a slam. Um, so something to work on uh, and also the backhand slice as well. There's some little bits and bobs that he needs to work on and we'll see how he gets on. If he can actually work on his serve and volley game uh, because he's a, generally he's a very good volleyer, he would do well at Wimbledon but the issue is his toss um, kind of throws to the side of him rather than throwing slightly in front of him. So he'll struggle maybe to transition to the net for that serve volley, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, but yeah, really, really good from Holger Room. But since past, we'll be disappointed. So that's kind of the men's side, all the people disappointed, all the people that are happy. Um, I don't want to touch upon it too much on any other players because look, we can, we can be here all day. English Biontech should be really happy, of course, on the women's side. Look, second Roland Garros, second uh, Grand Slam title. A lot of people, when you know. Barty retired, thought there was going to be a massive black hole and Svantec wouldn't be able to fill it because she'd just become one and one. They thought, look, there's going to be multiple Grand Slam winners. Svantec is almost putting a hand up to say, no, there's not going to be. I'm going to replace Barty. I'm now the woman to beat. Come and see me. Try and see if you can beat me. 35 consecutive wins, equaling Venus Williams' record uh, since 2000. Really impressive. And how many more wins can she get? Who knows? But it was a really, really good performance. She goes into Wimbledon as, as a as a favourite. Um, however, 
not as big a favorite as she was for Roland Garros, but still a favorite. She's also won as a junior, so that'll be interesting. But as a whole, I mean, she was clinical. Demolition jobs of every single player apart from one, Zeng, who was a really, really stern test. Uh, the young teenager from China gave her a really good game, took the first set as well after being, what, 5-3 down the first set, recovered well the Chinese player, took the tiebreaker after being down the tiebreaker as well. I think it was 5-2. Uh, and then after that, got injured, unfortunately. And then Shvontek just kind of ran away with it. Now, if she hadn't got injured, it would have been a close match. You'd probably still favor Shvontek because of just the way she's been playing, right? And the confidence that she's exuding right now. But it would have been a tough one. So a bit disappointing that she didn't have that kind of real test uh, this tournament. And that's, to be fair, a credit to her because she's just playing so well. Uh, and yeah, the injury, fine. But that was would have been one. Most people normally have at least maybe one or two throughout their run to the championships. For her, no. Uh, and the final, of course, a blowout 6-1, 6-3 against young teenager Coco Goff. But Shrontek, dominant as always. Uh, and not really too much else to say about her. I mean, the forehand, the one thing I'll say about the forehand is that it's now become an absolute monster forehand. Uh, she ha hits so big off that wing when she wants to. She does have the variations where she can hit like a forehand slice or go kind of with more coverage and topspin over the net. And that's, that's great. But the acceleration through the forehand is just like incredible. Uh, and the backhand we already know is kind of naturally very, very solid for her. And, and it's also a fantastic shot, the backhand on the line. Everything just seems to be clicking. If she can work on her or at least kind of show a little bit of her net prowess, then... I foresee her being very, very difficult on the grass as well. But we'll see. Serving a lot better as well. She's bulked that up. Kick serve, beautiful. I mean, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? Uh, we'll talk about her more, I guess, uh, as we approach the grass court swing. Well, we're already in it, but kind of as we get towards Wimbledon. In terms of other people to be happy, of course, the other finalists, Coco Goff. Now, a really, really good tournament for her. Uh, didn't have to face too many top, top players. Uh, but did really well in the end to make the final. And of course, a big, big step in the right direction for her. Beat Travis and the semis, beat, um, you know, Sloane Stevens in the quarters, which was a good win because Sloane Stevens was playing some good tennis. Uh, and I think just generally she'll be happy, beat, you know, Elise Mertens. So, <clears throat> look, you could have definitely had a harder run, no doubt, but you can only play who's in front of you, as I say. So, a very good one, very good run, sorry, even from her. And on the clay, on the slower clay court, she does have a lot more time on the ball. She can wind up the forehand. The backhand we know is really good uh, generally. And especially the backhand on the line, she kind of, I guess, a little bit Sviontek-esque a little bit <laughs> with that backhand on the line. The serve is huge on the first serve. It's just, can she make a lot of first serves? Um, the, the question to that is, does she need to tweak her technique a little bit because she generates so much power but doesn't make a huge amount of first serves. So that's a bit of a, a concern, I would say. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, in terms of then other, I guess, things as well to note is the fact that Coco Goff is also extremely young, right, still. I mean, she's still a teenager. Uh, I think for her, it was a massive step, considering that Raducanu and Fernandez obviously made the US Open final, Raducanu won it. But I do feel like the spotlight being shone off her for a little bit helped her cause. And she came into this year with probably 
a lot of people were not expecting a whole lot from her compared to previous years. So that was, I think, good for her. Uh, but mentally, she seems like she's in a great place. So I think that's a, the biggest positive to take for her. She's made a first Grand Slam final. I'd imagine she's not going to be too far from winning a slam, considering how open it is, especially if someone like a Shriantek gets upset early on in a tournament. So we'll see. We'll see. But it's kind of very open for everyone else, I have to say, to win one. But a really good tournament for her. So very, very good from Coco Goff. In terms of other people that can be happy, I mean, Trevor Sand, of course, the young Italian, had, I think, what was it, three or four years out of the game because her dad was really ill and she had some other issues as well, uh, unfortunately, but came back and made the semifinals. So went one step further after making the quarterfinals last year, if I'm not mistaken. Lost Coco Goff, but a really, really good tournament for her. And Kasatkina as well, making the semifinals. So make, again, going one step further. I think she'd made a quarterfinal of a slam before, but not a semifinal. So really good to see her make the semifinals. Both players getting comprehensively beaten by the finalists, but... Look, I mean, there's steps in the right direction for both. Kasakina, very talented, very tricky opponent. Travis and the left-hander, uh, more of a kind of like, you know, counter-puncher grinder, but play some really good tennis. And we're seeing a lot, lot more winners than people expected this year with not a lot of unforced errors. So some positive signs for her, especially on the clay. And I also think uh, Jessica Pagula will be happy because she made the quarters. Had her actual chances against Fiontek, I have to say, didn't take them, wasn't clinical. Um, but in the end, 6-3, so very, very good from Shriantek. But Pagula, definitely making the right strides. That's for sure. That's for sure. And uh, Kudumatova will be happy as well. Quarterfinals, really good from her. And Leila Fernandez, of course, uh, we've now found out she has a broken foot, but she lost to Travis Allen in three sets. Made the quarterfinals, though, here, which is nice, which is, I think, a good result. Um, we'll be disappointed not to have beaten her fellow left-hander, but look... Three sets. It could have gone either way. I think if she wasn't injured, might have been a different story. But generally, obviously, a very good win from Trevisan. For Fernandez, though, steps in the right direction again. And look, probably the best she'd played since that US Open final. Um, I know, obviously, she won Monterrey, but I think this is a really, really good sign for her. And Sloane Stevens as well, rekindling some form, making the quarterfinals against Coco Goff. So good to see her uh, again back in some fantastic form. And Look, we want to see her playing well because she's a very, very good athlete and competitor. Uh, in terms of people that we disappointed, I mean, there's probably quite a few because so many of the seeds fell so early in the women's side. It was uh, it was crazy to see. And obviously, Paola Badosa uh, will be one. But before we get on to her... Oh, sorry, bless me. Um, before we get on to her, though, we have to talk about um, <laughs> the, the kind of terrible form that Muguruza is in because she is in horrific form. I mean, absolutely terrible form. I mean, I just can't even explain to you. I mean, of course, losing to Kanepi in three sets and she is almost like, you know, the player who you don't want to draw her early on in the slam. And that's what happened. Muguruza kind of faced her straight away and lost number 10 seed. Also, Ons Jabur, I have to say. Um, Lynette obviously played some really good tennis, but Ons Jabur will be disappointed um, didn't play particularly well uh, and kind of lost to Lynette in three sets in the first round and she had a really good clay court swing of course winning Madrid making the final Rome so that would have been a massive downer for her but uh, that was a big big upset and she'll be disappointed with how the tournament went because it's a big opportunity for her it really was to go deep Kontavi as well in the first round against Tomjanovic I know she's not a massive clay quarter but not great and of course uh, Krychikova, um or Krychikova even but I mean, she'd had a long layoff, so I was surprised she even didn't play any matches beforehand. 
So that was kind of a, a big one, of course, given that she's the, the champion. Osaka, will she be disappointed? I mean, Anissimo is a tough, tough player to play first round. So probably not Anissimo was coming into in some great form on the clay. So that wasn't a surprise to me, but she might be disappointed because she knows how good she is, but a tough, tough first round, no doubt. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> there's just so many of the seeds that would have been disappointed. I mean, we can go through all of them. Sabalenka, of course. I mean, she lost really early as well, um, or early-ish even. She was going to get Radicanu lost in the second round to Sasnovich, which was like crazy loss because she played one well the first set, took it 6-3, then got double breadsticked, which was crazy. Sakari lost to uh, uh, Mukova. Look, I mean, Mukova, that was, a, that was an interesting one because she lost in two tiebreakers, so that's not terrible. And the fact that, look, you can... That can happen, right? That's a little bit unfortunate, more than anything, I would say. Um, so, yeah, I won't take a huge amount from that. Ostapenko, former French Open champion, uh, got bageled, breadsticked in return, but then got beaten by Cornet in the second round. Not a massive surprise that Cornet made the quarterfinals, of course, of Rangelis last year. But Sabalenka losing the second round, sorry, won the second round, but Sabalenka losing earlier on when she had a massive opportunity, I guess, to uh, kind of go deeper that would have been a big, big ups, big, big kind of disappointment for her because she had a pretty good clay court swing apart from that, honestly. And she lost to Georgie, got bageled in the third set, not great from Sabalenka, and uh, she'll be disappointed to lose. I know Georgie's very talented, but she, the, she took the first set as well, Sabalenka. So, yeah, not great. And then Bedosa had to retire. So, okay, I get that fine, but... Still, again, maybe she needs to take a little bit of a break and kind of just recuperate because she's been very on and off as well. And there have been a lot of question marks around her fitness in terms of injuries. So let's see how uh, how she goes. It would be nice to see her at Wimbledon, but look, she needs to rest as well. So not great for her either. So yeah, those are the people that won't be particularly happy. Um, pretty much all the seeds, to be fair. But I think... Look, the women's side is a lot more open. That's not necessarily to, to say that <clears throat> it's weaker. It's just a lot more competitive. There's a lot more players at a very similar level. And it can be very interesting. And the only thing I would say is it's quite hard to then root for someone because you just you end up getting very disappointed, right? So uh, unless, I guess, you're rooting for Iga Sviantep, but then you're a glory hunter. But no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking, just joking. But yeah, thank you very much, guys. Chini and Reed, you appreciate it. Uh, before we wrap up, actually, I'll give you my favorite kind of moments and my takeaways. My takeaways, I guess, big takeaways are Roland Garros need to sort out the roof uh, in terms of the playing conditions anyway. So they need to sort out the court on Philippe Chatria and kind of adjust it so that it plays better under the roof because it's too humid, too heavy conditions, way too attritional. Also, it played really slowly, like extremely slowly, very similar to Rome. Is that the right thing to do? I don't know. Uh, if I'm being honest with you, I'm not a massive fan of super slow clay court tennis, but look, what do I know? Then on top of that, I think we have to talk about, you know, as well, the seedings. Should Roland Garros kind of go back to what I guess Wimbledon were doing in the past, which was mixing up uh, the kind of seeding criteria. Now, at the moment, it's just based on rankings. That's probably not the right way to do it. And that's why the top half of the draw is so packed on the men's side. What they should have done and what they should do in all tournaments, in my opinion, and I, I'll probably do more of a in-depth video on this, is do a mixture of 
ranking and past performance on or in that Grand Slam. So, for example, right, if you have Nadal and Djokovic, so if you want Djokovic number one, because that's fair, like one, he's a reigning champion, so he should be number one. I think reigning champion automatically probably should be seeded in the top three seeds, uh, at least. So let's say he's seeded number one, um, and he's ranked one well, number one and the reigning champion, of course. Number two, though, who do you have as number two? Now, you might have an Alcaraz, right? Would you have Alcaraz? Would you have Medvedev? Now, Medvedev made the quarterfinals last year, but he didn't have any clay court swing uh, this year. And yes, he's ranked number two, but apart from that quarterfinal last year, he doesn't have much to show for it. So do you have Alcaraz? Good clay court swing? Probably not. You probably have Nadal, right? Because he's won 13 French Opens, made the semifinal last year. I mean, you know, what other reason is there? Do you know what I mean? So it's just, they probably could have done it in a better way. Um, they didn't, and I get why they might have not done so. And I'll probably talk about it in more depth in a separate video because I think it's something that all tournaments need to look into, especially like Wimbledon as well. I mean, should Medvedev be number two C? I mean, he he's not going to play, but I guess he'll end up being Nadal right at Wimbledon. That's probably kind of rightfully how it should be if he does play. But that's just because of default more than anything else. So interesting things to ponder, I think. And we don't want draws where it's just packed on the top half. And yeah, it's exciting, I guess, because you've got more chance of seeing the top players or the exciting players, exciting matchups happening more often than not because obviously there's less chance of upsets because they play each other earlier. But also like a Djokovic-Nadal match probably shouldn't be happening in a quarterfinal. Now I get, look, Nadal's not ranked high enough, so that's why, but there needs to be some sort of catering into past performances on that surface. Um, so yeah, we'll see how, how they get on there. Also, they need a roof on the second court, but I think they're sorting that out. So hopefully they get that sorted because they're way behind. I mean, Madrid has two roofs and they're a Masters tournament, so they need to sort that out. Also, Hawkeye, should they introduce that? I know there's a lot of talk around that. I'm not necessarily that keen on it or or not also against it. I, I kind of just like, is what it is on clay it's pretty easy to see the mark from what i know from when i play but look if they want to introduce it they introduce it and i don't think it really changes too much to be fair um but yeah yeah that's really my thoughts on uh running gals in terms of favorite moments i mean i think uh best match was nadal versus felix for me really really good match really top level from felix in a couple of sets and oh or three or three or four sets even from that from rafa three sets Really well played, but it was a fantastic match, I thought. Uh, in terms of, you know, I guess other things, look, not the the best Roland Garros I've ever seen. And, of course, the finals were a little bit disappointing if you are looking at it from a neutral point of view and excitement level. Was it surprising, though, the way the finals went? No, but there were some really, really good matches before that. So uh, I was really, really happy with some of the level that was showing up. Of course, on the women's side, a lot of seeds falling, They'll be disappointed, but it does, I think, set up the kind of rest of the year very well, especially for Nadal, who's had the best start he's ever had uh, to a year. So his potentially maybe only his only chance to win a Canada Slam. Uh, not to say that he's going to do it, but he's put himself in a position to do it, where whereas he's never been in that position before. So we'll see how he gets on, uh, whether he even plays Wimbledon, uh, but can't wait for the rest of... Uh, the year it's going to be great we're also going to be doing our Wimbledon or grass court power rankings probably Wimbledon power rankings uh, at the end of this week as well and hopefully have another collaboration for you guys tomorrow as well 
But yeah, apart from that, please remember to hit the like button and subscribe if you're new. If you're a podcast listener or watcher, remember to leave a rating, five star review if you really like it, if you really like it. Um, rating review, subscribe, follow us, all that good stuff. Thank you very much, guys. Stay safe, Omar, and we'll see you on the next video.